0: building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show.
1: Addison, you and I have become super good friends. And um, yeah, you would be able to speak into this from lots of different angles, not the least of which is the fact that your mother and father are both very well-known um, Christian leaders and speakers. They go all over the world. Um, you start off with your dad and going, I mean, he's been famous since before you were born. And then your mom became arguably f- more famous than your dad. And that, I mean, I can't imagine being one of four boys raised by two parents that are so highly regarded. There's got to be a lot of pressure there. So you, you do know a little something about identity and being real in the face of people's expectations.
2: Yeah, I mean, Ken. When I was growing up, I would have people come up to me all the time and be like, "You're gonna preach like your dad, or you're gonna do this like your mom." And my <laughs> response was, "You don't know me." <laughs> I didn't actually say that. <laughs> like, you have no like, you have no idea who I am. You're superimposing this idea of who I am just because you know um, who my parents are. And that was hard, man. That was hard for me to reconcile for many years. I definitely ran from that. I didn't want to have an identity that was tied to to who my parents are and what they do. Um, but I, I would say through the years I've graduated into maybe a, a better understanding of what it is to have an identity that's greater than just an individualistic expression, and I've started to value and appreciate and honor um, the legacy that is being a part of my family and my parents and what they've done and what they've sacrificed for and what they've what they've built through their consistency and their faithfulness to God over the years. So, yeah, I, it's been it's definitely been a journey for me. It's just it's been a journey for all of us.
1: Well, I mean, and you've become your own man. I mean, you've written some great books. Um, You're you're really, you've taken your dad's thing on fear of the Lord and you've kind of made it your own. You've got a holiness message that you give out there. You've spoken to some important groups about fearing the Lord and holiness. But um, I kind of wanted to start off um, in this discussion because you have some things to say into it about... (sighs) in the church, we have this thing we put on, I shouldn't say the church, in cultural Christianity. Sure. We have this thing we put off on people, expectations that don't really necessarily come from scripture. And I think one of the groups of people that really feel left out are single Christians. That, so there's somehow this <clears throat> expectation that if you don't have a wife or a husband, if you're not, if you don't have kids, somehow you're not on the varsity team or something. And you've got a lot to say about that. How do you How do you deal with that if you're a Someone who's really been wanting to be married, and the Lord's been like, "No, I, like Paul, I want you to be single." The church no. has a weird way of ostracizing
2: you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we've struggled just because so much of what we create—it's—it's it's programs. It's—it has to—it has to work for the majority, and in in many ways, marginalized minority just by default by design. Um, and unfortunately, I think single people wanting to serve God, wanting to navigate a life of faithfulness to God outside the context or covenant of marriage they often feel themselves feel like they're outsiders and there is a belief out there and i think it leads a lot of people to divorces doorstep um that meeting the right person and getting married to the right person is going to solve all of our problems of life and and there's this idea that if you're if you're married you're whole and if you're single you're broken and and the, rea- <laughs> the reality is that is entirely untrue when we enter into marriage of course, we're entering in as imperfect people, but we're yielding our imperfections to God, expecting him to do a perfect work in that season through that relationship. And that's how God works in every season of our lives, whether we're single or we're married. And I think a practical thing that, and I'm speaking to married people right now, we married people need to do is we need to invite the single people to our table, wherever we do life, wherever we do community. And I think it's its easier to invite the couples. You can have couples conversations. It's easier to invite the people who have kids, like we have four kids, and so naturally it's like, oh, I want to invite someone to my world who has children, who my children can play with. Um, but but I have found doing life alongside people who have chosen a different path than my own, um, the perspective and the contribution that they bring to the table is invaluable and the way that they engage with your children is really special too. It's like they have a different perspective that the next generation needs to hear and needs to engage with. I think sometimes we lose sight of within marriage. And so it it belongs. And that's why Paul and and scripture casts a, a greater vision, a greater idea of what it is to be the family of God. And brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, we all have a place within that family. And I'm speaking to the grandfathers and grandparents out there as well. And if we're going to create a church or church community environment that flourishes, we have to find a way to make a seat at the table for everyone involved. Just as we're having these conversations about race and ethnicity and creating space for those who don't look like us, don't think like us, we need to do the same thing across generational lines um, and across marital lines, too. Well, we were talking about this. We, we had coffee and, and uh, breakfast this morning together. This morning. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, the fact that God, every time he does a great move, it's always different. And he uses yes. people who don't conform. And it seems like there's so much pressure um, all throughout culture. I mean, American culture, everything else, too, you know, conform to this thing. And, and the more people say they're radical, the more generally they they assert that you have to be like them and yeah, but, you know, we see that that true truly following god truly being holy um you know we have jeremiah walking around naked for three years carrying around an ox uh what do you call it Goat thing yeah yoke. Uh, uh you know i mean god you know uses strange people i mean when we have yeah. um, um what's his name that that killed jezebel um you know, when the prophet comes in from Elijah and talks to him and then leaves, you know, the other soldiers kind of go, what does that not want? You know, I mean, so so God uses nuts. God uses people. He does. He get different. And there's something in, especially in a traditional Christian culture that demands that people conform, that mm-hmm. they look like us. I think that might even be kind of the whole, you got to be married to have kids like us so that we feel comfortable because you're like us. And yet God wants the different. He wants people who are completely abandoned to him. And he always does it differently than we think he's going to.
2: He does. And even if you look at the idea of who God is, when we encounter Isaiah 6, the same scene in in Revelation 4, but we see these these angels, these seraphim engaging with the presence of God and their response to the presence of God is a declaration of holy, 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 holy. And we we turn that into melody, but the truth is they're responding to God's otherness they're responding, which is really what holiness means. It means that which is beyond. We we have reduced it to being set apart. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that. But what it really means is something that we really don't have language for. It's beyond anything that we've seen, anything that we've conceptualized, anything that we've systematized and saying, this is beyond, this is other. And I need to lean into this otherness. I need to be transformed by this otherness. I think there's a reason why a lot of us aren't experiencing transformation in our life. And it's because we've recreated God in our own image. And then we wonder why this God, which is really just a reflection of what we like best about ourselves, why this God isn't transforming us into something more but in this in this moment isaiah they're engaging with the presence of god and they're saying other 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 holy 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 and then and then in the new testament we see this phenomenon that we are called god's saints or his holy ones the children of the holy he is the holy one we are his holy ones we are called to reflect his otherness and there was a there's a quote that i heard a long time ago and i can't remember who it's from but it basically said it takes a whole world to reveal a whole christ and there's just there's something so powerful, so beautiful about leaning into the mystery and the expansiveness of the kingdom of God and how that reflects and how that plays out in the in the earth. When we look at Revelation seven and we see the vision of where all this is going with the with the new creation, with the culmination of new creation, the new heavens and new earth, we see tribes, we see peoples, we see languages represented in the presence of God. So we see the presence of the other. I think sometimes. People have this idea like God's trying to to just get us all to fit into this one little stereotype or this one little vision of what it means to flourish as good stewards. But the truth is the John 17 vision, the vision of us becoming one, it's a a vision of oneness that only comes through championing and honoring and valuing the diversity of expression and reflection within the great kingdom expansion that is God's vision designed for human flourishing. And so I I think not valuing the contribution that singles and people who have chosen to live that life intentionally, or people just find themselves in that place because of the season that they're in, we're missing out on an expression of God's work on the earth today that we need within the greater church or greater Christian community.
1: Yeah. And and knowing you, like I know you, I want to make sure no one's misconstruing anything you're saying. (laughs) And by the way, Isaiah six is where Isaiah gets called into heaven and, takes one to God and goes, Oh man, I got a dirty mouth. And I come from people with dirty mouths
2: and he immediately realizes how gross he is. And then God, you know, he, uh, he, he, can, can I can I jump in there real quickly about Isaiah six that I should mention too, just some context. It was fascinating when he says, woe is me. He says, I must be silent. And what he's really saying is saying, like, I can't give word. I can't give expression to what I'm saying. And then, and then beyond a few verses later, it's fascinating is the the angel takes a presence a call from the presence of God and puts it on Isaiah's tongue. And then God says, hey, like essentially, who's gonna be my messenger? And the man who was just saying like, I have a dirty mouth, I must be silent, is now saying, here I am, Lord, send me, I will be your messenger. And that is what it is to encounter the holiness of God. Like God doesn't leave us in this place of stupor, in this place of a lack of definition or lack of purpose. We need to enter into the scary. We need to enter into the mystery that that is faith. Faith is stepping out when you don't see an end. Like that, That is what faith is. I think so often we try to put faith within our comfort zone or within our, our small idea of how God moves. But faith is stepping out in obedience to God, in obedience to what he's invited us into. And that's when he meets us with new understanding, with new revelation. Ken, I know you've seen that in your own life. When you say, God, I actually don't get this. Like, please... Like, I humble myself, like, I don't get this. Like, please actually show me what's going on here. That's when the spirit of God comes in and gives us understanding that we couldn't otherwise have. And I think acknowledging God's holiness is the ultimate or the most necessary way for us to enter into the mind of God and understand how he works and how he moves in our lives personally and in this earth um, through the collective expression of the
0: church. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interest, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. Struggling to balance
2: work and time with your kids? Parenting teenagers? What about having tough conversations about tough issues? Promise Keepers is launching a 14 day fatherhood challenge just for you. It all starts with a one hour kickoff event live on Facebook and YouTube. Then join us on the Promise Keepers app for 14 days of encouragement and practical application. Join with other like-minded brothers for sharpening conversations and discussions that will take your fatherhood to the next level. Don't delay. Register today at promisekeepers.org fatherhood. That's promisekeepers.org slash fatherhood.
1: You know how much I love James Robinson. And, uh, yeah, you got to love James too, James was a Southern Baptist preacher who called Billy Graham one day to lecture Billy back in the early 80s about all these charismatics he was hanging out with. And Billy said, James, do you know any of these people that you're criticizing? And James said, "Uh, no. And he said, I want you to call up Oral Robertson. I want you to go hang out with him for a while. James did, and him and Oral became lifelong close friends. And then James started hanging out with all these other people from those Christians over there. And then James ends up having a huge Bible conference in 1983 in Dallas. And for those who don't know, James was really the next Billy Graham. He was selling out stadiums all over America. He was huge, uh, probably the biggest uh, Christian leader besides Billy Graham at that time. And in 1983, he does a a, a pastor's or a Bible convention, and he invites, uh, I always forget the guy's name that started Vineyard Church. Um, uh, But he had a bunch of
2: those those people, oh, on eighty three. I wasn't born in eighty three, Ken. So, <laughs> dude, I was eighty six. <laughs> I was varsity basketball. Yeah. How
1: young you are! So, that's, that's um, fun they fun. had this whole thing, and then um, in church, two days later, one of the main pastors gets up and says everything that James Robinson just did and said was not from the Bible; it was from the devil, and on and on, and threw him under the bus. And yet. It was a year later that some of the charismatic leaders came to James and said, we need to come to the Baptist churches to learn how to worship. And when we think of purity of worship, you know, we think of people who are filled with the spirit and all that stuff. They know how to worship. And they actually the charismatic leaders were saying that the Baptists need to pre- teach us how to worship. Cause they understand how to revere God. They understand mm. how to respect God. And the wow. point was we, we put all these stereotypes together. You know, we put, you know, uh, oh, the Baptists don't have a, a lot of emotion. they're not dancing around and stuff of certain types of Baptists anyway. They must not worship like we do. And yet the leaders were saying, no, those guys know how to revere God. We need to learn from them. And likewise, people who don't believe in tongues and all that need to look at the charismatics and say, uh, they, they got a lot of stuff that I need to learn. And that's the whole thing about all this identity stuff is as long as we hold on to the fact that I have to control God, to fit into my box that I understand, where I feel comfortable. We will never be sanctified. We will never learn what it's like to be filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit until we let go and realize there are people all over the world. Scripture is truth. It's gotta be within scripture. But within the confines of scripture, there's so much that I don't know or understand. It's so much for me to learn and it will never stop. To the day I die, I will never know it all. And that's what's the key to, to identity in Christ.
2: Yeah, I think I think the greatest temptation today is the same that it's always been, and it's idolatry. I mean, Paul breaks that down in Romans one. We we like to look at the list of specific expressions of sin later in Romans one, but the root of all sin is this idea of creating God in our own image. It's almost like God created us in his image and we return the favor. And our lives start to break down. They do. Our lives start to break down um because we're worshiping a God as a reflection of us. And when we presume to have the corner on the God market, okay? Air quotes there for the people who can't see me. God market. Then we are essentially positioning ourselves as greater than God. We're saying, God, I know and understand you inside and out. Therefore, I am at your level. Therefore, I see things as you see them. And what that does is it, it removes the need for us to trust, need for us to contend, to believe, to lean into what the Spirit of God is doing. And this is some of the things that Paul's unpacking. In 2 Corinthians 3, we talked about the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. I mean, the Pharisees, they they had the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, they had them memorized, and they could not... And they and they read the prophets right like Sadducees they wouldn't read the prophets, but the Pharisees, they read the prophets like they were leaning into the tension, the messianic tension, they believed in a resurrection right And yet here is Jesus God incarnate, standing in front of them and they have absolutely no idea what's going on. they're completely disoriented and I I, I like to look at first Corinthians 13 and I just think it's ironic how Paul places first Corinthians 13 right between First Corinthians 12 and first Corinthians 14. Cause 12 yep. is about like practical administration and 14 is about this corporate expression of the gifts. Right. And I just think it's so interesting how Paul kind of like takes a step back. He's like, all right, we're gonna take a deep breath and we're going to talk about love because love is actually going to make all of this work. And when he gets to the climax of his big idea, Paul makes a statement. He says, Hey, we, we know in part guys, we know in part, we speak in part, we prophesy in part. And if we're going to love each other, and if we're going to do this whole community thing well, if we're going to have that iron sharpening iron dynamic that is so necessary for brothers, for the people of God, the sisters of God, if we're going to navigate that, then we're going to have to realize that we know in part and live in the tension that comes with knowing in part. And we don't like that, Ken, because we want to be God. I mean, let's just be, we, we actually write about this in the, in the, um, I am book that I know we're going to get into a bit later, but one of the points that I, that I made in the book, when I was talking about calling is like, for me personally, Ken, I had this idea of calling when I was in my late teen years, early twenties, where I was basically like, God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And like, give me the play by play, give me the formula, give me the whole, like the whole step-by-step and then essentially get out of my way. Like I didn't realize that's what I was saying, but I was basically like, God, just tell me how to do this so I can remove the variability that comes with having you in the mix. And I can just do it on my own and become God essentially in my own right and do what I need to do. And God's like, no, like you're missing the whole point of it. The whole point of all of this is relationship. The kingdom of God flourishes at the intersection of relationship. Like the whole point of you having contribution, of you having purpose is for you to learn what it is to rely on me, to be empowered by my spirit. To understand what it is to be surrounded by brothers and sisters and be a part of a a mission, a part of a calling that is so much bigger than just what is on you or what is in you. And I think that's I think that's hard for us to lean into. And that's why we have so much disunity and we have so much confusion and discord within the body of Christ.
1: Well, let's get into the I Am book, because actually um, the message of it is awesome. Now, I haven't read it yet because it came out like five days ago. It's already on the bestseller list and you didn't give me an advanced copy. So it's all your fault.
2: I should have given you one today. I don't know what I was thinking. I meant I meant to bring you one, and I completely forgot to. Ken, I'm sorry. But
1: I love I love the concept of it, man. And um, thank you. I think it, it is the perfect um, segue into from our conversation to kind of fill it out. Give the concept of the I am book. Yeah, it is so enlightening.
2: Yeah, here I'll I'll actually I do have a copy here. See, I should have a copy there for you, but I'll, I'll pick it up just to just to show this. So if you, if you look at this book and this really is what it's all about, you'll notice Ken, it does not have an author. The author is sons and daughters. Okay. I am, and it's written by sons and daughters. And I think, uh, you know, there's nothing, first of all, let me say this. I have a book. I've written a book with my name on the book. There's nothing wrong with putting your name on a book. Okay. So I'm not making disparaging remarks about people who put their name on their books. But for this particular message, we felt like it was really important that this was a synthesis of a collection of voices representing sons and daughters. So a part of um, what I do at Messengers, I I co-founded an initiative called Sons and Daughters. It's a collective of sons and daughters. We have chapters, I think it's like 297, 298 chapters in nearly 60 countries. And these are youth and young adults that are leading in churches, um, leading in small groups, um, leading in their workplaces, different areas. And we come alongside them, we resource them, we encourage them, we give them practical training, all that kind of stuff. And so what we did, Ken, is we reached out and we grabbed stories and we grabbed testimonies and we grabbed insights from the Sons and Daughters community. We pulled it together and then um, using our foundation, that is the Sons and Daughters Foundation, which is seven I am statements. We brought a book together that is, is built on these seven I am statements. And you're like, okay, like the book's just called I am, like what's the significance of that? Well, when you look at John's gospel, and Ken, I know you know this, when you look at John's gospel, Jesus made seven I am statements that rocked his religious world and rocked the political world. And for us, when I look at our world today, I'm like, hey, you know what? Maybe the religious world and maybe the political world, maybe both of those need to be rocked. And so, what we did is we took seven I am statements, statements that the Father declares over us throughout the meta narrative of Scripture, going back to the very beginning. And we took those and we made seven short statements and we built content within each of these statements. We actually have a covenant um, that I, I don't know what the number is now, but tens of thousands of people have signed saying, Yes, like this is how I'm living my life. This is. And this is what I believe I'm called to be as a son or a daughter of God, as a child of God. And so the book really is like a manual. It's a framework uh, for sons and daughters to engage with that unpacks each of these statements and why these are so important for us to engage with in today's world, especially when everyone else is trying to define us. I mean, in this this day and age where there's a, a movement, a pseudo movement of liberation, the reality is The the world, and when I say world, I'm talking about every world, right? Every cosmos, every subcosmos is trying to put people in these nice, small categories so it can deal with those people accordingly. And I believe that God is inviting sons and daughters to experience what all of creation is groaning and longing for, which is an understanding of identity that is so much more than playing by the quote unquote rules and doing the things that everyone's been doing just because they're doing them, whether that's in culture or that's within um, the larger culture, the culture that we grew up in. And so we're, we're trying to be disruptive in a good way. Um, and we're trying to give language to a generation that I know is engaged in a lot of deconstruction is really struggling to find um, its place as a church in today's greater world.
1: Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.